0: If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Today we're going to talk about the story of the Gospel. And a comment that Paul makes to the Christians at Corinth about the Gospel and and how it is received or how it's perceived by the Jews and also non-Jews or the Greeks. Okay, turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read verses 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but this is what I want to focus on. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. This is my uh, translation, but we herald a Messiah having been crucified to the Jews, an offense to Gentiles, nonsense. Now you read that verse and you have to ask yourself, what in the world is Paul talking about? You know, if you go to church these days, preachers teachers, radio hosts, I mean Christian TV, they all say that the gospel is pretty easy, that it's simple. And a lot of them sum it up by saying Christ died for us. Accept him as your personal savior. And that's that's about as deep as they get. Now that sounds well and good, but Paul here seems to be saying that the gospel is a hard pill to swallow. Let's take a look at what he says a little bit more um, deeply. He says, but we proclaim. Now the word there, proclaim, is the word preach. And we have all kinds of preaching these days, but what Paul is talking about there is, uh, he's talking about heralding. It's kind of like a king sending out his uh, heralders to go out through the land and to uh, declare to the people what the king's decree is or, or what the king's about to do. And then we come to the word Christ. Now, that's Greek for the word Messiah. Notice that there's not a definite article in front of Christ. So And the reason why Paul doesn't include the definite article, he doesn't say, but we preach the Messiah crucified, is he's talking about the whole idea of the gospel story. We preach a Messiah having been crucified. It's kind of like after that you take a big swallow. We're talking about a Savior who was Crucified as a criminal. Now, the word crucified, you go back in the Greek and um, that is the perfect passive. It's having been crucified. Now, the significance of that is that it's, it's an event that occurred in the past but has effects in the present. So, Paul is saying, We preach a Messiah having been crucified, and then he describes it as an offense to the Jews and nonsense to the Greeks. And we're going to explore why the gospel, why a Christ crucified would be a stumbling block to Jews. We don't hear about that these days, but that there it is right in the Word. So turn over to John, the 12th chapter, and we're going to deal with perceptions about a Messiah, Jewish perceptions about a Messiah back in the first century. Now I'm going to be reading from verse 27 to 34. This is Jesus speaking to a Jewish crowd, and he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this reason that I've come to this hour. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Well, the crowd standing there, they all look at each other and they say, Hey, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice hasn't come, has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up out of the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now notice the next verse. He said this to indicate the death that he was to die. Jesus was prophesying that he was going to be crucified. Now we're going to get into what that meant or what that means. What's it mean for a Jew in the first century to be crucified the way that Jesus was? Now this is what I want to focus on, the very next verse. Jesus says... He describes that he's going to die. And the crowd says, the crowd answers him, We have heard from the law. That's the Jewish Bible. That's what we know as our Old Testament. That the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? What kind of Son of Man are you talking about? Is what they're saying. Now, they say, we've heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. They're probably thinking of Psalm 89. Let me read that to you. Once and for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His line shall continue forever. His throne endure before me like the sun. It shall be established forever like the moon, an enduring witness in the skies." So here in the Psalm 89, we have Yahweh, God the Father, describing the Messiah in a reign forever. And that's what these Jews are referring to. They say, wait, we've heard from our law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up or raised? And what they're getting at is, In order to be raised, you have to be dead. So we read in our Hebrew Bible that the Messiah remains forever, but you're talking about one that dies. You see the contrast there. You see how Jesus is coming at the Jews from a very different perspective than what they see or what they perceive their scriptures as saying about the Messiah. Now, turn over to Mark 15 and we're going to read an account about Pilate and the Jews. Now, while you're turning there, let me remind you about those portions of the Gospels where Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll, re- I'll rebuild it or I'll build it in three days. Now, we know from John's Gospel that he was talking about his body. But the Jews took that to mean the temple of Israel, that he was going to destroy the temple of Israel. And you can go through the uh, the gospel accounts about his trial. They raise it. You can go through uh, the accounts of Golgotha and the, the scribes and the chief priests talk about how Jesus had said he was going to Destroy the temple And they used that in part as, As the reason to crucify him Now if you're in Mark 15 Let's go to verse 12 The Jews have come to Pilate About Jesus And it says Pilate spoke to them again Then what do you wish me to do With the man that you call The king of the Jews What do you want me to do with him And what do they shout back at him? They shouted back, crucify him. Now think about this a minute. The Jews have come to Pilate. And they want Pilate to do something about Jesus. They see Jesus as an insurrectionist. They see Jesus as a false prophet. They see Jesus doing all kinds of things that aren't in line with what they perceive to be the law. And so they come to Pilate. They don't say to Pilate, Hey, Pilate, we've got this rebel rouser guy named Jesus. And, you know, um, he's the crowds. He's got a lot of people after him. We think he's an outlier. So can you just arrest him and take him out from the scene until things die down? They don't ask Pilate to do that. They could have, but they didn't do that. They could have said to Pilate, you know, this guy has caused such a uh, brouhaha with the crowds and with Jewish law And with all these signs and purported healings and everything else, we want you to exile him. In fact, why don't you exile him to Spain? That'd be far enough away. He can go do his thing over there and we'll have peace in Israel again. They didn't do that. What did they do? They wanted Pilate to crucify him. And that is because They were looking back in the Hebrew Bible. They were looking back at their law. And so this was a very specific request. It wasn't, hey, take him out. Go send some Romans to take him out. No, it was crucify him. Look at the next verse. Pilate asked them why. What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more. Crucify him. Crucify him. Now, Pilate's not going to crucify somebody for nothing. You know? I mean, it, it, it wasn't an anarchy over there. He's got to have reason. And when we look back in the Gospels, we see that the Jews carried out their law and then they were under Roman rule and they had to go to Pilate when they were seeking the death penalty. But let's take a look at what the Hebrew Bible, what the Old Testament talks about when it talks about the death penalty. You don't have to turn there, but I am going to read from Leviticus 24. Now listen to this in verse 13 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, saying, take the blasphemer outside the camp and let all who were within hearing lay their hands on his head and let the whole congregation stone him. Anyone who curses God shall bear the sin. Now listen to this. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. The whole congregation shall stone the blasphemer. Aliens as well as citizens, when they blaspheme the name, shall be put to death. Now think back to the gospel accounts. I think there's one or two instances in Luke, I think most of them are in John, where Jesus is teaching and preaching and what happens. The Jews pick up stones to stone him. Now, they never get around to stoning him, I think because of the gifts of the Spirit, because of the gift of faith. And he had to go to the cross. But they saw him as a blasphemer. Now, that first sentence, the Lord said to Moses saying, take the blasphemer outside the camp. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Now, this is post-resurrection. Writing to Jewish Christians, but listen to this, Hebrews 13, 12. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Listen to this. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. Notice how that lines up. Here the Jews thought him to be a blasphemer, and it says, take the blasphemer outside the camp. And in Hebrews, it says that, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. You see the context where the Jews are coming from. Let me show you another one. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 6. Now, when you go back to the gospel accounts, you see that the Jews saw Jesus as part blasphemer. Part of that comes from the fact that he equated himself to be the Son of God. Not the Son of God the way it's usually preached in churches today, but the Son of God as it's um, defined in the Bible. But the Jews, hearing that, recall back in the Old Testament when you know Yahweh, God the Father, He said, the Lord your God is one, and I shall not have any other gods before me. Well, they were going to protect that. Even though the Messiah was in their midst, they were going to protect that. And when Jesus equated himself to be um, God's son, well, that's when they started taking up stones. Now, listen to Deuteronomy 13, because this is another vein of... The Jews taking a look at Jesus, another aspect. It says, "...if prophets or those who divine by dreams appear among you and promise you omens or portents, and the omens or portents declared by them take place, and they say, let us follow other gods whom you've not known, and let us serve them, you must not heed the words of those prophets or those who divine dreams." For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you indeed love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. The Lord your God you shall follow. Him alone you shall fear. His commandments you shall keep. His voice you shall obey. Him you shall serve and to him you shall hold fast. But those prophets or those who divine by dreams shall be put to death for having spoken treason against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Going back to the prophets, to turn you away from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. Now listen to this. It says, So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So you've got Leviticus says, Put the blasphemer to death. And then you have Deuteronomy that says, put the false prophet, purge that evil from your midst. Now we go back to the scene with Pilate and the Jews and they say, crucify him. Why would they say that? Why not, hey Pilate, stone him, exile him, kill him, you know, put him in slavery, do something with him, But no, it's specific. They say crucify him. It's because of Deuteronomy 21. The Jews knew what they were talking about with their law. Deuteronomy 21 verses 22, 23 say this. When someone is convicted of a crime punishable by death and is executed and you hang him on a tree, His corpse must not remain all night upon the tree. You shall bury him that same day. But listen, for anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God is giving you for possession. Notice what that says. If the Jews, if they punish somebody, by death if that guy commits a crime punishable by death that's a better way to put it and the jews you hang him on a tree what he is cursed of god now what's that mean what's cursed of god mean well you know the very least that it means is that the man is cut off from the people and he's cut off from the land Well, you see in Leviticus, he's outside the camp. You know, he's cursed of God. You've got God's people who hang him on a tree and he's cursed of God. Well, that means that God separates him from the people and from himself. And that's the way to do it. That's the methodology. Now, here's the interesting thing. We don't concentrate on this in church today because Christianity has become kind of like so vanilla, so Boy Scout, so nice because we think, well, it's so simple for anybody. But you get into the nitty-gritty of the gospel, and it's a a bloody, bloody gospel. It's a hard gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 3.13. Keep in mind what I just read from Deuteronomy. He writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That's a big yikes, isn't it? I mean, you're, you, we're reading Paul. And Paul says, he quotes Deuteronomy and he says, anybody who hangs on a tree is cursed. And guess what? Christ the Messiah was cursed for us. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I mean most of the time it's preached that Christ died on the cross Well sure he did but but we don't have the backdrop. We don't have the context. It's just like, well he died as a sacrifice. Well you got to go back to the Hebrew Bible. You go back to the Old Testament. Why'd they put him on that cross? You see it right here. They wanted him cursed of God. They wanted him cut off from the people. And according to Deuteronomy, that's exactly what happened. You know? I mean, the Jews are thinking, he's a blasphemer. He's a false prophet. So we're going to cut him off. And Pilate obliged... Now, when you go back to the gospel accounts about the crucifixion, the mocking makes a lot more sense. You understand why they're mocking him. Listen to this. Mark 15. In the same way the chief priests, along with the scribes, these are the guys who know the law. The scribes are the ones who write it down. Chief priests are the ones who are supposed to execute it. They know the law. So it says, they were also mocking him amongst themselves. Saying, he saved others. Talking about what? His healings and everything else, and he can't save himself. And listen to the next line Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, you can hear the sarcasm in their voices the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Why are they mocking him? Because they know from the law that when he's hanging up there on the cross, he is being made a curse. It's pretty sobering, really. Here, their Messiah comes to save them and they hang him on a cross. Remember what John wrote? He came unto his own and his own received him not. We see that now. We see it a lot more clearly. And if you have any question about this, go over to Not John nineteen thirty one. Remember there were two guys, one on either side of Jesus. One became repentant. He said, hey, he hasn't done anything wrong. We have. We've done things wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom and are glorified. Remember that? Well, look at what John 19, 31 says. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews didn't want the bodies left on the crosses during the sabbath why you know it was the roman custom that when you nail a guy to a cross that he's his body's up there for days and days why because the romans wanted to show the population just what happens to you when you commit crimes against rome So, you know, you you go back to the historical accounts and you've got bodies that are, um, you know, uh, eaten by the dogs and the, the vultures come in. They're just hung up there. It's gross. But here the Jews say that they don't want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. So they do what? They ask Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Why? You go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, that where it says that a man who hangs on a, on a tree is cursed, also tells the Jews, don't leave the corpse up overnight. You take the corpse down because you don't want the land defiled. And that's what the Jews are thinking of here. So it's all in line with Deuteronomy. Now, Let's go back up to what Paul was saying about how a crucified Messiah is a stumbling block. Or is something that the Jews have a hard time swallowing. Think of the storyline about our gospel. You witness to someone who's Jewish and you say, you know what, you're from the chosen people. And you talk about Abraham. But then you say, well, there's this Jesus, born of a virgin, born of a woman, born under the law. And the Jews went to Pilate and wanted him crucified because they wanted him to be cursed of God. And cursed of God he was. Because when you go back to the Gospel of Mark, what did we hear Jesus screaming from the cross? We hear him screaming Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the cries of my roaring? He was a man separated. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 became a reality with Jesus on the cross. He died as a man separated from God. So going back to, you know, sharing the gospel with uh, uh, a Jew, you know, someone who's who's from the Jewish faith, you're telling that person, and this is why it's a stumbling block. You're telling him or her that the Savior of the world was crucified as a false prophet, as a blasphemer, as a common criminal. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead and seated him in his own right hand in the heavens, and he is coming back to rule the world forever. See, the gospel ain't so simple to the Jew. Now, we go over to what Paul says about the Greeks and how the gospel is nonsense to the Greeks. You take that same storyline to the Greeks. Greeks might not know the story about the calling of Abraham and the promised seed and all the rest. But you see the aspect of Christianity where you have a Savior who is absolutely selfless, who's living what? Who's living not to please himself. Well, the Greeks are all about looking out for number one. Especially when you go back to first century. In the first century, and it actually hasn't changed that much, the Greeks are into success. Whatever will bring mastery of life, whether it's politics, whether it's the courtroom, law, philosophy, trade, business, you name it. The disgraceful and humiliating execution of a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, by whom? By the government. Hardly seems to be a sign of God saving the world. I mean, it does seem kind of like nonsense, doesn't it? You would think if if you're not acquainted with or not familiar with the, the gospel story, you'd be looking for some kind of... Handsome prince to come in like uh, Alexander the Great to, to rule the world and peace for everybody. But instead, you're saying that this Jewish teacher was crucified by his own people and then he was resurrected by the God that the Jews knew at the time. But now salvation's gone to everybody. How about getting saved? You see what Paul's talking about with the gospel. How it's hard for the Jews to swallow and it just doesn't make any sense to the Gentiles. But Paul also writes in Romans that it is the power of God unto salvation. And in fact, it is the only gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember when he sweated blood and he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Well, now you understand why he was sweating blood. He's about to become made a curse. It's not just die a death. He was going to be made a curse. And he says, if there's any other way, please let this pass me by. And was there an answer? Was there a change in plan? No. We know from the account um, of him raising Lazarus from the dead. Remember, he's standing in front of Lazarus's tomb. He looks up to heaven and he says, Father, I know that you hear me always. was not long after that that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, please, please, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will and not mine. And what? He goes all the way to the cross. The cross wasn't easy. Because Jesus, especially being Jewish, he knew Deuteronomy 21, 22, 23. He knew the law. He knew what was going to happen to him. In fact, he had prophesied a few times. He said, Um, The Jews are going to hand me over to the Gentiles to be crucified. And you know, uh, this isn't part of the episode, but think of Jesus' disciples. You know, when the Jews came in the garden and they're looking for Jesus and they're going to crucify him, why do you think all the disciples ran? They all deserted him. You know, I mean, Peter took out a sword because he thought now it's on. Now our Messiah is gonna, you know, he's gonna rise up. And Jesus said, "Put your sword away, because now is the hour of darkness." And they arrest Jesus. And what what did all the disciples think? I said, "Oh my gosh, what he said was true. He's gonna be handed over to be crucified. He's gonna become cursed to God." Why do you think they fled? So, we see just from this one small sentence. This verse in 1 Corinthians, it has it's pregnant with so much of the word in it. You know, the gospel isn't easy. It's not an easy pill to swallow. But once you swallow it, once you understand the gospel story, there's no way of getting around it. It's the most wonderful the most romantic, the most glorious, the most heroic story you've ever seen in your life. And the more you get into the Word and the more you see the contours and the textures of what Jesus did and the sacrifice he made, you you just can't get enough. It's just not enough. And what it makes you do is it makes you become selfless because you see how selfless he was in offering himself willingly on the cross so that men could be saved. Hallelujah. So that's the end of this episode. That's a wrap. And uh, we will see you next time on No Lasting City. Thank you.